Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. And this time out, we have part number two of our chat with Dale Chadbourne. Once again, Ken Minot, promoter, announcer, and general manager of Wiscasset Speedway, will be joining the Open Trailer Podcast. This time out, Dale tells this amazing story on how the trailer fell off his truck while going to the racetrack and plowed through a house. But it was the guy's fault for putting his house too close to the road. It wasn't the trailer's fault. You'll have to hear this one. Plus some of the great Wiscasset rivalries and a lot of other great things, too. Thanks to everyone who supports the Open Trailer Podcast. Our newest Patreon member, John Cox. That's patreon.com slash opentrailerpodcast. Money raised goes directly into the production and equipment to make this possible. Again, thank you so much for your uh, well wishes and support. The Open Trailer Podcast does directly benefit Maine Vintage Race Car Association. We preserve the history of racing here in the state of Maine, and there are a number of different ways that you can support us. Number one, by becoming a member. That's the most important thing. And so easy to do so. All you have to do is go to mainvintagerace.org to sign up. That's mainvintagerace.org. For less than $2 a month, you can become a member, and uh, that helps us do what we do every single season you can purchase a family membership and you can get a multi-year membership as well all right part two let's dig in it's dale chadborn on the open trailer podcast now let's uh, switch things up a little bit and talk about uh, rivalries and, oh. and talk about uh, the days, your final days of racing, when you got to race with your son, Adam. How cool is that to race head-to-head with your kid? Well, it's it's like a double-edged sword. You know, you, you want to do everything you can with your, your family. But then you know that the only way he's going to learn is by getting the real deal. And that's what we did. I mean, I raced Adam just as hard as I did anybody else. Yeah, and that's the only way he's going to learn. You can't be out there right. babying him. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> There's Just, some good pictures, too, that we were looking at earlier, and I think Andy's digging them out he, now. was uh, one of his first races against you. That uh, the, the night he put me into the, the one-turn wall? Yeah. And he took both ends right off my car. He come into the one-turn. I was outside of him. He was looking to see how far I had made it. Take, take me back to the day that this happened. What is going through your mind when, when, when these photos are taking place? What in hell did he do that for? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> did you get an it, explanation? Oh, I was looking to make sure I wasn't going to run into your Dad. He says, I, I wanted to see if I'd beat you across the finish line. Well, that was this, a, this first picture is me, myself, and him going across the finish line and... I think I beat him across the finish line. Yeah, you are three. So you're in the top groove. He is way at the bottom. You could put probably three cars in between you, and somehow you tangle in turn one. What is he? He just drive right through you? No, he was he. He came into the one turn and he was looking around to try to find out where Dad was. And he forgot and, to turn. 
dead he he didn't turn he came into the one turn and I was outside of him and I was the cushion to keep him keep him from hitting the wall how was the ride home that night quiet <laughs> uh, yeah he didn't have a license yet and uh we had to make two trips to haul two cars back and forth to the house and they were both quite quiet but uh he helped me put the car back together that week i'm sure it was a lesson he learned yeah hasn't done it since no no he'd probably beat me now yeah. you've told me that probably the neatest part of your racing career and which spans some 50 years is the year that you guys finish one, two in the in the points in the heavyweight demons. Yeah, there's a picture somewhere of he and I doing smoke shows on the front stretch together. Yeah, and that's probably one of my best pictures. But the teacher beat the student that day, didn't he? Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that same group, uh, the the heavyweight screaming demons, uh, it was casted back in the late '90s, early 2000s. Yeah, it was an entry level uh, street stock style division. But that had some of the uh, some of the best rivalries, some of the best action this track has had in a long time. When I put up on the website, often who some of the best rivalries in the fifty years of Wiscasset Speedway, a lot of people go back to the late nineties, right around two thousand. Chad Bournes versus Pierpont's. Tell yeah. us a little bit more about that. Well. I had been out of racing because I had been working on everybody else's cars, my father-in-law's and Kenny Beasley's and Terry Oliveri's. And I had been spending everybody else's money, and Adam was born, and there wasn't a lot, a lot of money around. I was trying to build a house. and From our house, you can hear Wiscasset Speedway. And every once in a while, Adam and I'd be outside working. He was getting to be a teenager, and... He wanted to go to the races. I said, no, Dad can't go to the races. He says, oh, yeah, he can. I said, no, you don't get it. Dad, Dad can't go to the races. Well, he tried that probably for a year. He wanted to come to the races. And I says, all right, tonight we'll go to the races. And I almost bought, who who was it who used to drive the five car, T.W. Dick? Albert Westhaver. Nope. That's the name that comes to mind with me. No, he, he drove for T.W. Dick. Anyway, I almost bought his car that night. And I told Adam, I said, this is a one-shot deal. We, we're not coming back here. Because all he had to do was get a taste of it, and he was as hooked as I was. You know, it was neat to walk around with Dad probably that knew everybody in the pit and, you know, when you're coming back and all that stuff. And So I said, okay. So then the motorsport show happened. And we, because he was asking questions about the racing gig and all that stuff. And that. Well, we can go up to the motorsports show. So we went to the motorsports show, and I bought Scott King's car at the motorsports show. And that, I took that home, and it was bent up pretty bad. But I knew where there was another car, the same thing. I could take everything out of that one, put in mine. So that gave me a car. And there was a guy down the road that tried racing. Didn't work. So we went down, bought his car, and that was Adam's first car. So we went, started racing. Here we are again. And Adam hasn't, well, he took one season off, I think, when he graduated high school. That was when I ran the Modifieds. Yeah. And, uh, but that, uh, that situation racing in the, the heavyweight screaming demons, you, you had you and Adam, the father son group, and then you had the Pierpont brothers, uh, uh, Ed Pierpont, the now famous pumpkin grower, uh, yeah. out of Jefferson, uh, 
the 97 heavyweight demon champ and his younger brother Steve Pierpont, the 99 heavyweight demon champ, you guys brought out some excitement that we certainly didn't expect. I mean, from from the announcer's point of view, you made my job easy because you guys made sure a lot was happening out there. But there was you guys, Dan Trask, the Cowboy, Dusty Glidden, uh, Albert Westhaver, Mark Woodman, all those guys. And just talk about that rivalry with you and the Pierponts. It, it's really, it, it was intriguing for sure. Well, going into it, we, you know, because we came over a few times and we knew that the Pierponts were the top dogs and stuff, and that was going to be a, a struggle. And uh, I had nothing but a bunch of kids to work with me. You know, it was Adam's friends from high school. It was Mike Moody and Kevin, Corey Fitzgerald, and there was a, a bunch of kids. And I knew it was going to be a struggle. It was a struggle working with a bunch of teenagers, you know, for an old man. And uh, it, it was it was fun. I in hindsight probably probably shouldn't have been as much of a rivalry as it turned out to be. Was but. it was it driven by a dislike for each other? I mean, I I know you guys well. I know the Pierponts well. Out of the cars, all great people. Obviously, race car drivers' mentality changes sometime when they put the helmet on. But yeah, was it driven by dislike? Was it driven by mutual respect? Was it? Oh, like I don't said, think there was any push respect. Each other's buttons pretty well. <laughs> yeah, there was no respect. <laughs> Ken, you know that you watched it. There was no respect. It was. Uh, Steve could push my buttons. Ed and I got along okay, uh, but Steve knew how to push my buttons and. I had enough experience. He wasn't going to push my buttons. It was, I was going to push back, yeah. and that's just what happened. How would he do that? Well, Steve had a habit. He'd come up behind you, and the easiest way it would be to upset the car that you're trying to pass. He'd come up behind me and hit me in the bumper, and he was faster than I was, and I knew he was. You know, we were just getting back started, and he'd hit me in the back bumper and get me squirrely, and he'd drive underneath me, and... It just irritated me. So I went right up to him and I said, Steve, go buy if you can. I'll let you buy, but don't hit me in the back bumper when you do it. He did it every time. And I never forgot it. I still haven't forgotten it. And I think what a lot of people don't realize, too, with this heavyweight demon class, you'd have 25 cars, but you'd have 15 laps to get Yeah, It it was a 15-lap race. You had to hustle. You couldn't mess around with somebody if, if... you know, and they was they were they, it got to the point where there were teams out there. You know, there were four or five of my people and four or five of the Pierpont and, and that clan, and uh, it got to be quite a rivalry. It wasn't just the Chadbournes and the Pierponts. It was the Moody's and and uh, Densmores. I mean, there right. there were groups of people that would you know get in somebody else's way so they didn't get to the front. Uh, it was it was a fun time, and don't think for a minute that when we came on the track, we didn't see everybody stand up. I mean, it that literally happened. I yeah, mean, it it was one of those divisions you wanted to make sure you were in your seat, oh, and ready yeah. to watch. Yeah, people didn't go to the bathroom when the the heavyweights came on the track. You hit on something interesting that I I always wonder when people are in the you know the cockpit of their race cars and they look up and they see the crowd but is it like when you're on stage and you can barely see anybody so what was it like for you to come onto the racetrack see the crowd stand up and know that you had a job to do uh, you had to stay focused you know and it 
there were a lot of people in the stands that you know and that expect you to do well. And you just got to go out there, stay focused. You got to pay attention to the kids that are driving the other cars that you own. And you still got to try to, you got to pass your own cars without wrecking them, even though they're in your way. You know, it's it was tough. Now, you've got 50-plus years here at this track. You've seen a lot. What is your favorite era? Is it when you started? I mean, each era at this track has its own connection to you, whether it was as a driver. Now, fast forward 50 years, it's you as a mentor and a father and a car owner. You've done everything in between. Uh, I don't really think I can pick a, a best. It would be... You know, when I started, I was excited to be racing. Then we did the Sables Cassett Raceway thing in the middle, and now I get to do everything with Adam. You know, it's it's been a good ride. Yeah. What what's what kind of disappointments? I don't know if you could look back at each era, challenges, disappointments. Uh, probably one of my disappointments. Well, there's a couple of them. At, at one point. Wilford stepped away from the place in the middle of the season and we started our own little association and we finished the season and it worked we we were getting cars back here Robbie Robinson was the guy that sponsored me with the jackets years ago he had a race car he was a he owned the Dairy Queen in Woolwich he was a businessman so he had a business background and most of us <laughs> that started the thing were the board of directors and all that stuff and that next season we we were ready to rock and roll for the next season and then somebody else came in and took it over and we never got really a chance to prove that the drivers could help the place and I I think when Vanessa and Richard started out this venture that it kind of came back because the drivers were part of bringing this place back again and it worked this i think when when richard and vanessa came, first came back that was the best that this place has been i think through this tenure having the drivers have a voice i i really think that and uh that that's just my own opinion that's all yeah um another thing i wanted to hit on was and and we we kind of joked on this on your introduction to the to the hall of fame and and i say this as your friend and somebody I've known for a long time, we joke on our side of the operation in Dale proofing the rule book. I don't know if I <laughs> have ever met a race car driver or builder that studies the rule book as closely and as, as carefully and diligently as you do. And we joke that if, you know, most promoters would want their rule book to be like three pages long, but then when you get the people who study the rule book like Dale involved, you want to have a nice big thick rule book because you're looking for all that gray area in the rule book. Yeah, it borders on cheating sometimes, but also it borders on doing your home. You know, it, you're Ingenuity. doing your homework. Ingenuity, that's what it is. You think that's missing from racing these days? Yes. And the three-page rule book, that's what we should have. And in my eyes, because that opens up the ingenuity. And... If, if one season I find something... Well, when I built the new Modified, Stevie Reno stood right up and said, sounds like Dale's done his homework. Remember the rules meeting? And that's what it was. We had built a new car to the new rule book, and it fit like a glove. And that's when you're going to do your best. 
ingenuity. Well, I think it's it's missing in NASCAR. It's missing everywhere. Yeah, back then, when I say back then, back in the seventies, you it was common to see cars within a division that look completely different from each other, but it was okay. Yeah. That's, now one thing looks different on somebody's race car. You, you know it. You you still to this day have people after you. His car doesn't look like ours. Exactly, and I want it to look different. I I, I don't want to be like anybody else. And some people like that. Some people don't. Yeah. Uh, if they if they think it's an advantage, do it. Yeah, that's how pe- that's a progression. That's how people go faster. And I know some other people have said, and I think I've even heard you say it a few times. One of your favorite sayings is, it doesn't say you can't do it. That's right. If you look at most of my chassis, they're painted gray. And they're painted gray for a reason, because it's that gray area in the rule book. I don't know if I should laugh or not. <laughs> it's the truth. Oh, I'm secretly cringing on this side of the microphone, too. Yes. But but no, and, and that's that's exactly what I mean. You... I affectionately call you a throwback. There aren't many people left in racing like you, Dale, because guys like you, guys like Jimmy Childs, who build their own stuff from the ground up, um, it's easy to run out and buy a race car, hop behind the wheel and go racing. Well, easier. I can't do it. But I think you take a lot of pride in the fact that you build your own stuff even today from the ground up. Well, some of our shirts say right on the front of them, I built mine. You bought yours. And that's that's what we do every Tuesday and Thursday night. And people are welcome to come to my shop Tuesdays and Thursday nights. We we get a bunch of guys from the Bath Ironworks, welders, ship fitters, everything you can imagine, tin knockers. And they all come up and we build race cars that are fast. And it's just how do you take shipbuilding and put it into a race car? But we do it. And we have fun doing it. We go out. We're still going out into the back 40 in the junkyard and getting parts for these race cars. And it's just nobody believes it, but nobody will come to see what we do either. Yeah. If we're going to sit down and, and do this interview, I have to hear you tell the story of the trailer again. That is the ultimate, the trailer that broke on the way to the racetrack. Oh, on the way to Beach Ridge. Oh, my goodness. What happened that day? Oh, it it wasn't just one day. That happened all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. And the the trailer is still around. It's on over on 128 in Woolwich, Delma Stinson's trailer, out on 95. And the, the trailer came off the back of the truck, across the median strip, across the other two lanes of traffic, and over a stone wall into a field. And, I mean, all you'd, all you'd feel is just a little thump, 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 you know, and the trailer would be off on its own. Well, the trail, the socket goes on the trailer ball was wore out. That's all it was. It wouldn't stay on the truck. And uh, so, you know, we are on our way to the races, and Delmo was always late because we were usually putting in another motor just before we left the house. And so across the median strip, we went across the two lanes of traffic, Breaking the stone wall, went out, hooked on the trailer. Was the car still on the trailer? Still on the trailer. Still all, <laughs> the only thing he ever did was chain it down, right? You know, it didn't matter if the trailer stayed behind the truck. But, uh, yeah, it uh, it was a ride. It, it it happened several times on the way to the races. Coming back from Unity, just before my where I live now, coming down over hill. And the, it wasn't a perfect setup back then, the trailer truck deal. And the tra- trailer would get swaying back and forth, and finally it would pop off the ball out across the stone wall. And 
it, uh, it, it, it would ruin everything. Sometimes it take the oil pan out of a truck and we had to load the truck on another trailer and they drove the race cars home in the middle of the night. Uh, it's just you did what you had to do back then. That is the ultimate open trailer story. Yeah. <laughs> One of the reasons why hey, we... I, I, I had to go to the airport with my wife to take a relative of hers to the airport and I saw the house that the tongue of the trailer went through at that intersection. It... <laughs> If and again, if you go out through, I don't know my way around Portland very well, mm. but there used to be a, a you go out through Portland, you went under a railroad trestle, you know where that is, right in in Portland. You go out through and there's a little marsh, and then there used to be a left that you went to the airport, and right there there's, there was a blinking light. Oh, I know. Yeah. Well, it was a funky shaped intersection, and there was a house right next to the road. Well, pulled up there to the stoplight, and we felt the little thump, 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 and the trailer went cruising by. <laughs> and the tongue of the trailer went right through the foundation of the house, and it right up to the bumper of the race car. So everybody jumps out of the truck, and oh no, God, what are we going to do? Pretending Don't call like the cops. it never happened. That somebody had the wherewithal to whip out a tape measure and convince the guy that owned the house that the house was too close to the road. Nice. So we pulled everything out of the foundation, hooked it back on the truck, and we went to the races and never heard a word from anybody. I mean, we went by that house every week after that. This is in Stroud water, by the way. Nice. Yeah. 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 Um, What is racing missing now where compared to back when you started? Is it that that individuality that exactly I, I really the, believe the ability to innovate you, you watch a pro stock race everybody's got the same body I understand that they want everybody to be competitive and all that stuff but there's so many other things that come into play that individuality I, I really think it's a key to making it fun be creative and uh I think that's missing. That's what I like about the modified class. It's probably the most creative class you can be. And that's why we like it. We can build that. Dale, when you were inducted into the uh, May Motorsports Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, you really, I think you took me as an individual, uh, a, a, you know, with your acceptance speech and the, the, the genuineness of your words on what the current regime or the way Wiscasset is is run today and what it means to you to someone who's been there from the very beginning can you elaborate on that again oh I, I just I think we're so lucky to have Richard and Vanessa and the crew that we have here now uh, they brought this place to new heights and it, it, they brought it to a place where it can continue to be even better uh, the, I, I know there's plans now in the pit to make a change and that's going to be huge for people who want to leave the car right at the racetrack. Going to be big. It is nice. I I see Richard always thinking ahead. <laughs> I you know I know his mind changes every week, but he legitimately has. When they first bought the place, Vanessa said they had a five year plan, but now now we're well past that five years, and they're always looking to do something new. Yeah, this place will continue to grow as long as Richard Vanessa want it to. It just, it, it has potential. 
we've kind of touched on it in a, in a couple of different areas, but on the whole, not necessarily just at Wiscasset, but in the state of Maine, the Northeast, even the United States, where do you see short track racing in the next five years? Boy, I, I think it's scary. I mean, I, I hear stories about Beach Ridge. I hear stories about Oxford. You know, the star, I think, is struggling. Uh, yeah, it, it's... For, for right now, and because I'm probably quite partial, but I think Wiscasset's probably doing the best of any of them. And I hope that continues, but I I worry about any racetrack right now. What do you think is is lacking? You know, you, you think, look back at those those rival days where when you would come out onto the racetrack, you would see fans stand up. What is going to make someone stand up and, and cheer for for a personality? I don't have to tell you guys about the night that Stevie Reno and Dave St. Clair rip each other's cars right completely apart on the front stretch. Right on the front stretch. <laughs> I, uh, I remember calling that race very clearly. No. <laughs> <laughs> the, the night I spun out Steve Pierpont on the front stretch and the photographer was walking out onto the racetrack, Peter ran like hell for the infield. You know, I didn't think about Peter being out there to take pictures at the time. But none of that stuff is allowed anymore. I know you're not big on social media, but do you think that's played a big part in in uh, wanting promoters to dampen that? Because the rivalry used to stay at the racetrack. Now it's out on social media all week long. Uh, I don't know. I, I think the rivalry type stuff, even on social media. I mean, you think about it. What got NASCAR on the map? A fight. And that started, that's what got everybody watching NASCAR. Exactly. It hasn't changed. People want to see some excitement. They want to see competitiveness. Everybody has a little bit of competitiveness in them. They want to see the passion. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I understand not wanting brawls on the front stretch. I've seen them at almost, I, I saw a guy picked up and thrown on top of an engine in the Beach Ridge pits years ago. Pete Peterson, I think it was. Uh yeah, there, there were rivalries everywhere. It, was, it isn't just Wiscasset. Who's the toughest driver that you faced? I'm going to say Steve Pierpont. I'll give him a pat on the back. Steve and I have talked since. We talk pretty quite well. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, out of the cars, everyone's great. <laughs> oh, yeah, put the helmet on. It squeezes your brain. Yeah, uh, the... The fall, uh, the Save Wiscasset Raceway thing, Steve showed up for that, and I was shocked. I said, no way Steve Pierpont's going to show up at my race. And I went up to him, and I thanked him for coming. And I, I could tell he was astonished that I came to him. And uh, since then, we've talked. You know, we're not best friends, but we've talked quite a bit. And what do you feel that in 100 years from now, when people are, are looking back on record books, memories, photos. What do you feel your greatest accomplishment has been as an individual associated with racing in Maine? I don't know. We've built some pretty fast cars. And uh, we've, we've built them on the cheap. We've always done it that way. And I, I think probably, I don't think people realize how cheap we build our cars. I mean, my my biggest downfall is going to be for this new car that we're building that I got to buy a lot of stuff because the swap meets were a f- flop this year. I went to one of them and there was hardly anything there and I understand style wasn't much better. 
but just knowing that not only is your car competitive and successful but it's it's because you built it right uh, you know stan stan i i used to take go up and visit stan reserve quite often and i think stan kind of kind of saw the back the fine boy in me i don't know and uh we're still decent friends and stuff. We talk whenever we see each other. And Stan was a smart man. He he wasn't afraid. We'd take a car up there. First time I met Stan Reserve, we took a car up there to have him do a setup on it. And uh, Stan was open to me sitting there watching everything he did. And I think he saw a kid that was interested and didn't mind helping him out. The the Save Was Cassett Raceway thing, it was all about Dale and Tony. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about Dale and Tony. There were so many other people. I mean, Ken, you came and did the announcing for us. Yeah, you're the one who talked me out of retirement. Yeah. Thank you. Wait a minute, so you're the guy. Yeah. He, he is the one who... that whole happened because you gave up race announcing for a while. I, I actually got out of it uh, at the end of the 2008 season. You want to spend more time with family? Yeah. Uh, my Two of my daughters were teenagers, um, and then and, and Emily had just arrived, and we decided uh, I just needed to get away from racing. I was a little burnt out. Doug White and I weren't seeing eye to eye too well, so... Um, How does that phone call go, Dale? Uh, he needed a little time. <laughs> I think he wanted to talk to the wife. Yeah, it, it all started there. And and when the Jordans said, I want to sit down and talk, it was the same thing. I Give me a little time to talk to the wife. Yeah, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I knew the people who had been here before. I didn't have time to cre- create the wheel. I had to go back and pick up the people who knew what the jobs. Wendy, that's I brought Wendy back. She's been here ever since. And uh, every time I walk by the tower, she screams at me about getting her back there. She's the only one that's been here longer than me now. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it, I had to go after the people who I knew could do the job the best. Like Like you, this is my home away from home. What would we be doing? I mean, I'd probably have my house finished that I started in 1983. <laughs> 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 you know, but, you know, other than that, it, uh, I, there, there are days I just come over here and some of them will, like I say, Josh Bailey and I would sit out here on the grandstands with the hay growing up around us, just trying to think if there was a way that we could make this place work. And, it, you know, we missed it. That's what it was. And it, We'd have done almost anything to bring this place back. I've still got my first race car, and I bring it in here once in a while. And it is it is just scary that people race that stuff. I heard Lawrence Reno talking about using beer kegs for gas can, gas tanks. Oh, yeah. Those were, that was the good stuff. Yeah. They were, they were like ironclad back then. You couldn't break them hardly. And, and that goes back to the, the ingenuity Mm-hmm. You know what can I what can I put on this car that's going to make it a little faster or more durable? Well, Norman Sherman, when we ran his late models cars, uh, we kept him at my house, and he he was he was astonished that we'd be working on his late model cars, and he'd somebody'd say, "Hey, I wish we had one of these, whatever it was we were working on," and I could walk out back in the back forty and pick it up and bring it back in and would use it on Norm Sherman's cars that had nothing but the finest stuff on them. Yeah. And it just, that's the way we've always worked. You know, Pierpont's the best rival you've raced head-to-head with. Who's the best driver you've seen on this racetrack? I dare say Scott Buck. He's been at it the longest. He's 
he's he's another one of us. Back in the day, I remember when Scotty Jabuck was a kid, and he was running Kenny Wright's leftovers, and then him and Leo Tanga got hooked up, and they won some championships. And Scott's a little more laid back now, but he was a brash little punk. Oh back yeah, he then, was. Wasn't he? Yeah, he was really. Yeah. And, but that's what got him where he is. He he was aggressive and he went out and hustled, and he tried. But he stuff. delivered when when he was building his old Camaros. He tried stuff that nobody else would try, and he'd be out there. I'd go by the garage in the middle of the night doing towing jobs. He'd be out there all by himself, and I knew he was cheating on something. <laughs> and it it's just the way you know. It wasn't really cheating, and it was doing something that nobody else was, and that's the way some of us still do it. You know. Yeah. It, if, let's wear that rule. That Find that say, gray area. If if it doesn't say you can't, you should be able to do it. Yeah. And that's just the way we did it back then. Yeah. What are your thoughts on another guy who just went into the Wiscasset Hall of Fame last year? And it, it's a classic case of what could have been. Um, your thoughts on racing with Mike Moody? I never raced against Mike Moody. I had my father-in-law, Merle Grover. I built a car for him that raced with Mike. Mike Buster and Burley Childs and Joe Giroux and all them. It was that era there. Yeah. And uh, Mike was tough. And he had Ken Siggers funding things that most of us couldn't have. And Ken was a diehard Ford man. Yeah. And he'd spend anything to have a Ford win. And back then, there was a lot of brand loyalty, too. It wasn't just oh, yeah. the sticker on the nose of the car. It was actually the oh, car yeah. it was a made Ford. the difference. Yeah. It may not have been the right Ford parts, but it was a Ford. <laughs> I want to thank Dale for taking time out of his schedule, sitting down with Ken and myself. We had an absolute blast. Next time on the Open Trailer Podcast, we'll visit, this time with a central main legend, Dave Darvo. Uh, how did you feel when you walked into a, a new place? Did people know you? Did your reputation precede you? Goddamn small. Small? Small, yeah. Because oh. you didn't know anybody. You didn't know who your competition would be or who's this guy you better stay away from or, you know. So you're pretty small. Please remember, rate and review. Five stars make the world go round, and we appreciate it. Catch you next time on the Open Trailer Podcast.